You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. All right, guys, if you would go ahead and flip in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, it, that would be the John that's near the back of your Bible. And feel free to use the table of contents. That is always allowed here. 1 John chapter 4. And as you flip there... Uh, let me just say this. I do not believe in karma. Um, I don't believe that uh, karma, if you do good things, good things are guaranteed to happen. If you do bad things, bad things are guaranteed. I figured out as soon as a buddy of mine cheated on a spelling test and got a better grade than me that the world was unjust. And ever since then, the world has yet to prove me wrong in that fact. So I don't buy into karma. But um, I do know this. Being a parent and watching the the crying babies and all of this kind of stuff is, here's what I love about a baby dedication. Everybody, all the family, and it, I am throwing no shade, moms and dads. Everybody's like, it's baby dedication Sunday. Got to get my makeup. Got to get, get my hair cut. And what we're doing is we're like, we got to get pretty and look. But ultimately, we're coming up because we're like, we're born really jacked up and dirty. So we're going to get real pretty while we recognize that we're really dirty and we really need God's help. And, and as I think about my own childhood, specific. Uh, what I put my parents, specifically my mother, through in my childhood, I don't believe in karma. But when Galatians 6, 7 says, God shall not be mocked, a man reaps what he sows, I do feel a little bit like God is smiling in heaven as my mom smiles here on earth and watches me navigate all sorts of crazy with my kids. A number of years ago, so it was the day after Thanksgiving, it would have been Thad's second birthday, we had the pile of Halloween candy, you know, the, the great altar of wonder in, ch- in child land. And it was sitting on this really high table. I think it's called a credenza, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And it's sitting on top of this. And Ellis, who was four at the time, was going to get a piece of candy. It was Ellis, so he asked first. That's not the issue of the story. He gets the chair out and he goes up. Karen Ann and I are in the other room. And what happened next has led to a mystery that is yet to be solved in the Hawk House. All we know is Ellis's head hit the hardwood floor really hard. And when we got there to find the, ch- the crying four-year-old, two-year-old Thad was in the chair where four-year-old Ellis was looking for candy. Now look, you can be team push or team no push. I don't know. God knows. I don't know whether there was a little hip check on that chair getting brother out of the candy jar so that Thad could get his hand in. I don't know, but here's what I do know. As soon as that head hit the floor and we looked, I pulled back the hair. And when I say there was blood, I don't mean red blood, right? Red blood's normal blood. I mean like made me think of Lord of the Rings, dark black blood because there was so much of it in a little pool. And I knew... We have a little problem on our hands. And I have no clue what to do. In a short period of time, what ends up happening is I am on my knees at the end of one of those doctor's benches. You know what I'm talking about? They got a little stool. I'm on my knees four inches from my, my child's face. Just four inches, pupil to pupil. And my job is to hold his hand so he doesn't reach back, lock his shoulders so that he can't squirm while they begin stapling his head shut. That's, that's where we are shortly thereafter. And I'm eye to eye with my son, who's four years old at the time, and they begin the stapling process. 
You can see the evidence of this story anytime my child runs past you. You see it, right? It's like a little reverse Harry Potter thing going on. And when that first staple goes, tears fly. And crying begins to flow out of his mouth. And it was the most heart-wrenching moment for me as a father. When I'm eye to eye with my son and he starts crying, Daddy, it hurts. Dad, Dad, please make him stop. Please make him stop. Another staple. Daddy, please, I can't do this. I can't do this. It did not matter how much desire I had. It didn't matter how much willingness I had to say, put the staple in me. He wanted something that I could not give him. And a side note from the sermon. I want you guys to know how much as your pastor, as your leader, I want to take away the difficulty and the pain that many of you who are either volunteers or members of Mitri go through every morning when people are here at 5.30 in the morning. Right now we have kids volunteers that are, are working not in air-conditioned buildings that are outside in a tent. I want to take away the pain. I believe that God has been incredibly gracious to us. I want to take away the pain. I want to take away the discomfort. I want to make it easy. But I can't. The leadership team at this point, God has not given us that ability to take it away. And so I just want you to hear me say this. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Know that you are loved. And in an upside-down gospel way, which is how God works, I know that he never puts any of his kids through something that is difficult or painful or inconvenient without there being a really good gospel reason for it. I don't know what that is right now, but in a backward gospel way, I find great affirmation that God is going to do incredible things through the family that is Midtree Church because of y'all's diligence, which to me affirms the very call that God has placed on us. We cannot give something that we have not received, something that we do not have. Let's look in verse 7 together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The most important thing for you to understand in this sermon, if you forget everything else that I said, we put up verse 7 again, are these first four words. Beloved, let us love. Here's what I want us to realize. When Ellis was crying out, saying, Daddy, help, I could not give him something that I did not have. And John is giving us a foundational truth in the first four words of this text. Beloved, which means loved one, let us love. Everyone in this room who is a Christian knows that we are called to love other people. But before we can do that, we must recognize the order that Scripture puts this in. Beloved, loved one, one who has received love, let us love. There's this understanding that we cannot give to anyone something that has not been given to us and God has given to every one of his followers, every one of his beloved, every one of his loving children something actually to give. And so for those of us who have responded to the gospel, let me make this real simple. All of us are sinners according to scripture. And when we recognize that we've said, thought, or done something that was wrong, God steps in and says, 
you can't clean yourself up. I can do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you if you respond to it through the work of my son. And the punishment that you deserve, he received on the cross. And if you believe that his work on the cross is enough to forgive you of your sin, as I'm telling you it is through my word, then you become my kid. You become beloved. And the moment you become beloved, beloved, let us love. Because, and I believe this, everyone who is a believer deep down wants to love people in a gospel kind of love way. I believe that. I think sometimes we just don't know how to do it. When we end up four inches away, pupil to pupil with somebody who's crying out because they're in pain or discomfort, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, we actually have something to give them. The question that John presents to us is, do you know how to give them the very thing they are asking to give? Because I believe you have a heart to give it to them. Let me pray for us. And we're going to discuss how we can give that kind of a love. Father, thank you so much for this morning. I I love how you put on display your absolute sovereignty in in bringing children up and us recognizing how helpless we are to be loving. And yet you tell us that you call us to become ones who have received love and then produce love. And so, Father, as as we dig into this text in 1 John In 1 John 4, my prayer is that you would give every Christian in this room an answer to those who cry out. And Father, I also pray for any in this room who may not be a Christian, who who don't know if they have done that, that you would put on display the very answer to their question, who can take this pain? Who can fix this problem? Who can heal this brokenness? And that this morning they would see that at the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When God does that, he gives us what's called a ministry of reconciliation. Let, uh, let me throw this verse up. Hey, Crumpacker, did I give you this one? I was kind of thinking about it last week. 2 Corinthians 5. Do you have 2 Corinthians 5? You do? Okay, sweet. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. And all of this, that the new creation, that transformation is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That means, for, for somebody, someone to be reconciled, it means made right. Something was broken, and it is now restored or made right. But check this out. Uh, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Drop all the way to the bottom He entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So Jesus comes and he says, you're broken and there is only one solution. There is only one fix. And that's my work on the cross for you. But when I have given my life, died and come back from the dead and transformed your life, now you become the messengers of this restorative love that God has given us. That is our job. And when someone sits eye to eye in brokenness, that is what we want to begin pushing them toward. Check out verse 9. 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That means it was put on display. In this, the love of God was put on display among us. Well, in what, John? In what? He answers the question. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live 
through him. So in this is the love of God that he is putting it on display through his son. Continue into verse 10. This is love. This next part makes me smile. This is love, not that we have loved God. You know what I find wonderful? That the first thing the Bible does is tell us we are very poor at defining love. Did you notice that? In this is love. And then God's like, not that we have loved God. In other words, we aren't really good at defining anything nowadays, right? Words keep changing. Meanings keep fluctuating. And when God is about to describe the greatest attribute of himself, love, one of the first things he does is look down at us dusty creatures. And I don't mean dusty like put on some, I mean, dusty, you were made out of the dirt. And he says, you should not be defining love, right? Because if we did, it would, somebody give me one attribute. Now you're not gonna do it. I shouldn't have built it up. You're like, you just told me I can't define love, Will. All right, can we all agree with this? Love is affectionate. Can we, can we say love has affection? Are y'all nervous to say that now? You should be affectionate, right? But it can't just be affection. I love affection. My wife knows that I love affection slightly more than she loves affection. In public, I love throwing my arms around her. I love kissing her. I love kissing her, kissing her. I love giving her a little love tap. And that is affection in public. I love it. But if I take that affection and I give her a love tap, then I take 10 steps and find somebody else to give a love tap. My affection has not doubled. She does not look at her husband and say, you are so affectionate. Man, you just, you love people? Who is that lady? Right? It doesn't play out that way. So love is affectionate. But it can't just be affectionate. It, all, it has to also be, I think the next thing, as soon as I give that illustration would be, it's got to be committed, right? Love is a commitment. And we can step away from marriage and talk about committed love. You can be a single Christian and have a commitment in love with your roommates or something along those lines. But if your love is only commitment, if your love is, look, I'm going to fulfill the lease. I'm going to pay what I'm supposed to pay. I'm going to make sure my ketchup does not touch your ketchup in the refrigerator. All right? I'm committed. And then the roommate says to the other, hey, do you want to read the Bible together? Hey, do you want to tell me what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? Look, I'm already loving you. I'm paying the bill on time. Our ketchups aren't touching. Can't you tell from my commitment that I'm loving you? It is commitment, but it can't just be commitment. And God is so kind to us to say, why don't you let me define for you what love is? Instead of you, dust-made creatures, defining what love is, let me define it for you. And God obviously defines love most at the cross. Verse 10. In this is love. A. Not that we have loved God, but that B. He loved us and sent his son to see be the propitiation of our, I lost it, of our sins. Note takers, here's where, here's where you start. Lick the, lick the pen. The love of God as defined by God to his dust made creatures so that they could manifest this love is first given to the undeserved. You see this? In this is love, not that we have loved 
God. One of the first attributes of the love of God is that it is lavished on those who do not deserve this. Now, Jesus plays this out. He says, if you love those who love you, of what benefit is that? Everybody does this. But when you love those who hate you, when you love those who don't deserve your love, when you love those who are not easy to love, you manifest, you display the very love that God has shown to you. It is undeserved. B. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Love, as defined by God, is costly. It is going to cost you something. Most of us, I'll use a dating relationship here. Most of us, when we enter into a dating relationship, are not thinking about what it's going to cost us. We are thinking about what it is going to bring to us. Many times, if we're honest with ourselves... That's how we think about children as well, which is so backward, right? But what do we see on display here? Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. There is no costlier example of love than God sending his son. And he didn't just send him to say, hey, guys, my name's Jesus. I've got this large cruise ship. If you want to go to heaven, come and hop on. I'll come back if there are any more of you. You're welcome, I came. It's not just about a manger. The love of Jesus started at a manger, but it ended at a cross. And a cross where God himself made man was beaten and spit upon by the very ones that he was trying to reconcile to himself. True love, in seen at the cross, is given to the undeserved and it is always costly. The verse goes on. Loved us and sent his son To be the propitiation. Anybody want to make extra credit and tell us what propitiation means? Anybody want to? Okay, Carly, let's go. To take the place of very good Carly who quoted 1 John 1. All right. If there was a camp store in God's church, you would be receiving a free ticket to pick something out. There is no camp store. All right. Propitiation means something in place of, something is propped up in place of something else. So the love of God, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It is given to the undeserved. It is always costly. And please don't miss this. The love of God is practical. It is not love for the sake of love. It is not unicorn and pixie dust love. It is not Valentine's Day love. It is not Hallmark card love. It is a practical love. God loved undeserving people in a very costly way to do something practical, i.e. bring them into a reconciled right relationship with himself. So here's what you should be doing as you look at that screen. This is the mirror that scripture not our culture, would hold up to any of us who claim to be a Christian and say, what do you see reflected in your life? Now, you can play this out in any relationship. It can be your boss or your baby or your baby baby, whichever one. The question is, am I loving them when they don't deserve it? The question is, am I loving them in a way that costs me something? The question is, am I loving, this is my favorite, Am I loving them in a way where I am applying my love to hope to see something gospel redemptive created in their life? When we pray for these children, we are praying a practical kind of a love. We are praying that God will legitimately transform and change that heart. And these three things are all over the Bible. Romans 5, 8, 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, the undeserved, Christ died, huge payment, very costly for us. Why? Continue reading Romans to bring us into right relationship with him. Practical love. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, he has something to give. We can't give something we don't have. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, undeserved in our trespasses, he made us alive, practically changed, transformed the heart, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. With Christ, through his costly sacrifice. Last one. All the way in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Before you were born, I loved you. You, you couldn't have done anything to, de, to deserve my love. You didn't even exist yet. Just consider that for a moment, Christian. That before you were a baby able to be dedicated, before you were in utero, God loved you. He knew what you were going to look like and he knows what your tomorrow is. And he loved you with an everlasting love. That is undeserved love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you, which through the prophet Jeremiah will point forward to the one who will die a costly death on a cross to practically live out this faithfulness that God has promised. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved, loved one, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, there are two different ways you can read this. You can read it, loved one, If God so loved us, we should love others. I'm going to go ahead and say the emphasis here is not on the if, because John has gone to such great lengths to display how costly, how undeserved, and how practical the love of God for his children is. What John's saying is this, beloved, if God has loved us, we ought to love one another. If God, the one who owns everything, And owes nothing. The one who should be in constant receiving mode. Is instead through his son. Giving to us. If God loved us. Who eternally existed in love. Father, son and Holy Spirit. If that God loves dusty creatures. We dust made creatures. Should really be able to love other dust made creatures. In that kind of a way. Here is how God calls us to love people. When you end up eye to eye with somebody who is crying out in pain, distress, depression, anxiety, fear, whatever, this is how God calls us to love. Everybody look in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. John, what did you just do there? We're talking about love and now God's invisible. Okay, John, John has not lost his mind. He's not gone like super theological. We've been talking about love. Now let's talk about the fact nobody's seen God. Abraham saw a piece of him. Moses, his face shined a little bit, but no one has ever seen God. He's, he's making a point, a foundational point here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let me break this down. God's invisible. We cannot see him. Right now, you can look where you want. You can see the evidences of God But you cannot see him. And then notice what John says. No one's ever seen God if, number one, if we love one another. If these dusty creatures begin loving dusty creatures, God abides in us. The invisible 
resides within the visible. And when a visible thing loves a visible thing, the invisible thing becomes seen. So if we as Christians love one another in an undeserved, costly, practical kind of a way, number one, if we love one another, two, the invisible becomes visible. And this is exactly what Jesus meant in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? Jesus. By this, people will know that you're my disciple, that you're my father. How are they going to know? Good theology? How are they going to know? By answering a bunch of good questions? By cleaning up their lives? By wearing a buttoned-up collar shirt? Which, by the way, we have moved into shorts weather. You can feel free to wear your shorts and chacos at church anytime you want. Okay? We're there, people. All right, and I'm giving everyone freedom in that. How is it that God is going to, or how is it that people are going to know that we're his disciples? Well, in this, if you have love for one another, that is the mark of the love of God. That is how they know. So if we love one another, the invisible becomes visible and His love is perfected. I'm reading right out of the text. God abides in us and his love is perfected. Is God's love not perfect? Is God's love lacking in any way for us? Is it? No. So why would scripture go to the length of saying God's love is perfected? God went to great lengths to display what a perfect love is. Well, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, it is, it's finished. Jesus is not in heaven eating Doritos right now. He's not like, hey, it's done. God the Father, I have done my job. It's Doritos and Netflix time. No. Is it finished? Yes. Jesus' work on the cross in defeating the consequence of sin is finished. Close that chapter. But he resides in heaven interceding for us right now, praying and interceding for us. In other words, it's finished, but it isn't completely done. And the love of God is perfected What it means by that is it's complete. It's fulfilled. The chapters of the the great story that God is writing, written in the blood of his son, on the pages of the skin of his son, are still being written. And we all are characters in that great story. And this is the craziest part. This is what it says. God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us. Do you realize how amazing, astounding, and bizarre it is for God's word to say that? That God's perfect, undeserved, costly, practical love is perfected in us dust-made creatures. But why not? Why not us? 1 Corinthians puts it this way. Consider your calling. Consider when you were called to God. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. Is the Bible calling you foolish? Yes, it is. It's saying when you were living your life, running around trying to get yours, figure it out, and find your best life, God was looking down and saying that foolish, foolish little dusty thing running around thinking he can make himself happy. That's exactly what the Bible's saying. And that's why it says God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why not us? Consider the thought process here. If we 
love one another in a God-sized biblical way. In a way where we're loving the undeserving. In a costly way. Wanting to practically see their lives transformed into greater godliness. Then why not use us dusty creatures? Because the moment God does, here's what happens. If glory comes from me, if glory comes from you, it had to come from somewhere else first. This is why, this is why the section begins with, Beloved, let us love. Loved one, let us love. You cannot give something you have not received. But if you have received this kind of love, and I know I've said the word a lot. It's going to become the giraffe game. Draft, 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 and then nobody knows what the word means anymore. Have you ever done that? Like we did it when we were 12, right? Love, y'all don't know. Some of you are like, what, what? We did it at gifted school. Don't worry about it. All right, so, <laughs> so anyway, what happens is God shows through us something that can't come through us. I can't produce glory. You can't produce glory. So all of a sudden, when we love and God's love is perfected in us, we are displaying that there is something greater in us than we can facilitate or make. And that gives God glory. And here's the news, of, here's the news flash of that whole thing. That's the purpose of the whole Bible. The purpose of the whole Bible is God to receive glory. And God saw fit that his receiving of glory would be put on display when creatures who couldn't do anything do something amazing and people look at it and say, how can you love that person that way? They were horrible to you. How can you love that person that way? It's gonna cost you everything. How can you love that person that way? Wanting to see change for their own good and they don't even wanna see that change. How can you love them that way? And your only response is, Because that's how God loved me. He loved me when I was undeserving. He loved me with the costliest love there was. And when he loved me, an undeserving, dust-made creature, with a love that cost him everything, he practically changed my life. And he's given me the ministry of reconciliation to carry this message to you while you are hurting and crying. We can't give what we have not received. But... We in Christ have received an undeserved, costly, practical love to give. And when we, specifically, when we give that love, only God can get the credit. That's what makes Christian love beautiful. Uh, I wanted to preach this to you guys last week on Mother's Day. Because when I think of undeserved love given, costly love, practical love, I think of my mom. Many of you in this room think of your mom. Now, that is not a universal truth. My my wife's uh, mother passed away when she was pretty young. Her brother even younger. But in general, I think that is the kind of love that is woven into the heart of mothers. And you want to know how I know that? Because when I do a load of laundry, there's a small parade in the house. Look at this incredible thing that God has done. Look at this amazing practical transformation. I I love people in a way that is exceedingly visible. That receives a great deal of credit and praise and encouragement. While my wife is cleaning dirty underwear that no one sees. 
while mothers are doing many times the menial, unseen, common, unapplauded works that actually raise boys to be men who are worth looking at in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Who raise daughters to be loving and gentle and leaders in their faith. That's what I think of. And I didn't get to share my heart with you on Mother's Day. So right now we're going back in time. And this is my makeup Mother's Day. When, moms, when you leave, we got a little gift for you. So just consider yourself celebrated twice. And we'll make this a tradition because we can get everything on sale if we do it a week late. <laughs> Works out really well for church planning. So we'll be celebrating everything one week late. <laughs> Enjoy our January Christmas Eve service. Hey, you know his parents are like, that's not a bad idea. I mean, can we? My kid's only three. He's not going to know anyway. I can get away with this. Uh, Let me close this out in Romans 16. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there should be one on the floor in front of you. In Romans 16, verse 13, here's what we read. Paul is writing to Rome. He's about to go back and visit. He hadn't been there. I don't know this exactly, but I think it's been a few decades since he's been there. 20, 30 years since he's been there. And he's writing to people who he loves. And if you look in the text, you see the word greet, 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 greet. He, he, he's like, hey man, don't forget Priscilla and Aquila. And don't forget this. And don't forget this person. Tell them I love them. I can't wait to see them. And in verse 13, here's what we read. Greet Rufus. We've yet to have a Rufus baby dedication, but it's there. It's in the Bible. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about on a baby dedication Sunday? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Of all of the people that are named in Romans 16, everyone that is specified is given a name except one, Rufus's mother. She's the only one that Paul recognizes and does not give the name for. Her name to Paul is mom. Tell mom, greet her. I love her. I can't wait to come and see her. Because she's been a mother to me. Rufus's mom is not given a name anywhere in the Bible. She's not like Priscilla, who is a fellow minister. We know her name. She's not like Lydia, who used her business acumen to support the church. She's given no name. She's given no trait. She served Jesus in the seemingly mundane and common. And we know that she raised two godly boys. Rufus being one and Alexander, who for some reason didn't make the cut. Sorry. He didn't. He was the two-year-old pushing him right off the... I don't know. I'll get to heaven and Alexander's going to be like, really, Will? I mean, come on. You don't even know me talking about me. There's a fair chance that Paul, who grew up in a very strict home when he was persecuting Christians, was being applauded for his zeal. And the moment Jesus knocked him down and said, I'm transforming your life with my undeserved, costly, practical love, he turned his back on the old life and he may have lost his family. And in a fair chance, this mother of Romans 16 could very well have become his mother. That when all other doors were closed, hers was open. The pantry was open. There was always a place at the table set. She loved daily as a mother through just normal, everyday things, preaching the gospel. And did not see her life or her title as mother as lacking in Christian ministry. But as the very basis of her Christian ministry of reconciliation. Has anybody ever heard of Campbell Morgan? Just curious. Throw a hand up. Kwame? No? I thought you'd be, you would be the one. Nobody's heard. Campbell Morgan was a preacher in London. 
I think he died in 1925 or 1945. I love that. I, I didn't know him either. But the guy who took, he was a preacher. He actually preached in California for a period of time. And when he gave up his pulpit by retirement or death, the one who came in and filled his shoes was none other than Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Dr. Campbell had four children, all of them boys. All of them became renowned pastors and preachers. They were well known. And one day they were sitting around the table, mom and dad and the four boys. And one of them, much like the disciples asking Jesus, one of them said, Dad, you're an incredible preacher. Which one of us is most like you? Which one of us is the best preacher? And Campbell looked around the table and he said, the greatest preacher at this table is your mother. You may be seen and known. Your, your gifts may be put on display. But the one who has preached the most sermons... The one who has shown love to the undeserving. You punk four kids who even asked the question. The one who has given the most cost. The one who has loved you practically. Has been your mom. Mothers in this room. We love you. If you're a Christian mother. You put on display. In ways that are never seen. All of those things. But this is what I really love about the Bible. When Paul says, you were a mother to me. He looks at every Christian female in this room. And he says, whether you're a mother now. Or you one day hope to be. Whether you're struggling with fertility. Or going through foster care. Or adoption. If you were a mother And now look back over your shoulder and unbeknownst to how in my world, miss those days when the kids were running around and it was loud and noisy. Here's what the Bible tells us. That every woman in this room has something to give. If you're a Christian, because you have been given something. A God-defined love that is given to the undeserved and is incredibly costly and practical because when you are bought and brought into the Christian family, you don't need to have a child to be a mother. It doesn't matter if you're six or 66. Every Christian woman in this room should be a mother to someone in this room. And by so doing, put on display the manifest glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're six or 60. You should be a daughter to someone in this room. To look up to them and say, your life is worth following. Will you speak into my life? Will you tell me how you did it? Because what my son just did, I didn't know could happen on this planet. And though I'm speaking to mothers, to be 100% true... Men, this is the gospel message to us as well. Every one of us have something to give to a world that is in great need so that when they are crying out in pain, we can hold their hands. We can get eye to eye and know that we have something to give in an undeserved, costly, practical love that we see in Christ 
at the cross. Father, my prayer is that for any in this room who are not believers, that you would put on display this great love, that they, that they would have seen it in Christ and all of the scriptures that we've looked at, and that they would be able to say in their hearts right now, I want love and I am not deserving. I want love and I recognize that there must be an incredible cost to pay for all of my brokenness in my life. And I want a love that's going to change me. It's going to change me from my selfishness and my egocentrism to actually loving something more than myself. And Father, I pray practically that the costly love that you have given to the undeserved in this room, that every believer, man, woman, son, daughter, Father, that you would remind us of the ministry of reconciliation that you have called us to. That we would live lives that matter because we live in a world that is hurting and is crying out and we can get with them eye to eye and say, I have something to give to you because it's been given to me. Father, make us a people who live a ministry of reconciliation and thank you for those who since our birth, for many of us, have been the examples of loving the undeserved, of loving in a costly way, practically seeking transformation in our lives. We thank you for every mother that is ours by biology or by spirit. We just pray that they would be encouraged and loved well as you have loved us well. In Christ's name, amen.